Luke chapter 22, and I'm going to begin reading in verse number 47. Luke chapter 22, beginning in verse number 47. And of course, this is the arrest of Jesus Christ in the garden of Gethsemane. And while he yet spake, behold, a multitude, and he that was called Judas, one of the twelve, went before them and drew near unto Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said unto him, Judas, betrayest thou the Son of Man with a kiss? When they which were about him saw what would follow, they said unto him, Lord, shall we smite with the sword? And one of them smote the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. And Jesus answered and said, Suffer ye thus far. And he touched his ear and healed him. Then Jesus said unto the chief priests and captains of the temple and the elders which were come to him, Be ye come out as against a thief with swords and staves? When I was daily with you in the temple, ye stretched forth no hands against me. But this is your hour and the hour of darkness. Then took they him and led him and brought him into the high priest's house. And Peter followed afar off. And when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the hall and were set down together, Peter sat down among them. But a certain maid beheld him as he sat by the fire and earnestly looked upon him and said, This man was also with him. And he denied him, saying, Woman, I know him not. And after a little while, another saw him and said, Thou art also of them. And Peter said, Man, I am not. About the space of one hour after, another confidently affirmed, saying, Of a truth, this fellow also was with him, for he is a Galilean. And Peter said, Man, I know not what thou sayest. And immediately, while he yet spake, the cock crew. And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said unto him before the cock crow, Thou shalt deny me thrice. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. And the men that held Jesus mocked him and smote him. And when they had blindfolded him, they struck him on the face and asked him, saying, Prophesy, who is it that smote thee? And many other things blasphemously spake they against him. And as soon as it was day, the elders of the people and the chief priests and the scribes came together and led him into their council, saying, Art thou the Christ? Tell us. And he said unto them, If I tell you, you will not believe. And if I also ask you, you will not answer me, nor let me go. Hereafter shall the Son of Man sit on the right hand of the power of God. Then said they all, 
Art thou then the Son of Man? And he said unto them, Ye say that I am. And they said, What need we any further witness? For we ourselves have heard of his own mouth. Let's take our Bibles, turn over to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter number 22 in your Bibles this morning. Someone once said that we are either going into a trial, or we are in a trial, or we're coming out of a trial. Because experience seems to teach us that a good portion of our lives are spent dealing with some kind of trials in our lives. And that's why it's important to know that trials, and you know, even trials that we fail in, Trials can impact our future for good. Trials have the capacity of strengthening and building us. Even when we don't do well in the trial, there can be some great outcomes for the trial in our lives. We all know that when uh, someone tempers steel, they put fire to the steel. And the fire being put to the steel is not to make the steel weaker but rather it's to make the steel stronger. And fire, the fire of trials in our lives, are never sent by God for the purpose of hurting us or making us weaker, but always with the purpose of making us stronger. Peter spent some time in Satan's sieve. We have been looking at this portion of Jesus Christ's life and ministry when he was in the upper room with the disciples that last few hours before he would go out into the Garden of Gethsemane. We have listened to what he taught the apostles in the upper room. We've gone with Jesus and the apostles into the Garden of Gethsemane. We have bore the brunt, brunt of, the, of the horrible agony that Jesus Christ endured as the weight of our sin began to crush him as a Gethsemane stone and squeeze the life out of him as he wept, as he fell on his face on the ground, as the pressure of anticipating God the Father turning his back on him when he took our sin on his shoulders, that pressure caused his capillaries to burst and blood to be released into his sweat glands and, and pouring down off his face, pouring down on his clothes. Not just a little bit of beads of perspiration, but running down off from him was a bloody sweat. And we have gone through the agony of the Garden of Gethsemane. We've watched Judas lead the temple guard into the garden and arrest Jesus Christ and take him off to the chief priest's palace. We have been watching the events of what occurred in the chief priest's palace. And in all of this, we have seen that Peter was in Satan's sieve, as Jesus Christ described it. And Jesus had told him that he was going to go into this time of deep trial. But Jesus also told him that he would overcome the trial. And when he went through the ordeal of the trial and came out the other side, 
he would be stronger as a result. Not only for his own benefit, but he would be able to strengthen the brethren, Jesus Christ told him. And so we learn from Satan's, from Peter's ordeal in the, in the denials of Jesus Christ that the trials, even when failed, trials, even when we don't do well, can end by making us stronger. Peter would one day be used of God to write two letters. Letters that were written to Christians who were being persecuted, who had been scattered around the world being persecuted. And in one of those letters, in the first letter, Peter wrote to them that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found under praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Peter knew from experience what it was to fail. He knew what it, from experience what it was to be so, so cumbered with, with a trial in his life and, and really mess up royal. He knew by experience that that was not the end. That that did not destroy him forever. He learned by experience that that trial could strengthen him. And he in turn could strengthen others from the experience that he gained. And so when he wrote to persecuted Christians scattered around the world, he told them that they were going to have a trial of faith. And yet their trial of faith could also make them stronger. Such that they could be effective in their lives. And that effectiveness would be obvious at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Now, you know what happens at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Paul talked about the day when, when we would be gathered to Jesus Christ and we would present to Jesus Christ the people we influenced and brought to Christ. And Paul wrote about the joy of his life to be able to present to Christ the ones who through his life he reached with the gospel. And Peter writes to persecuted Christians that even in the trial of your faith, you can be made stronger and that strength will be demonstrated at the appearing of Jesus Christ when you present to Christ the result of your strong faith. The people you influenced for the cause of Jesus Christ. James, the brother of Jesus, would agree with this thought that trials don't destroy. Trials make you stronger. And James wrote in James 1, 3, The trying of your faith worketh patience. Patience is the ability to keep on keeping on. It's the ability to endure. It's the ability to not quit when the going gets tough. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing, lacking nothing in life, because the trials that you went through made you stronger so that you wouldn't quit. It gave you endurance in your life. It made you stronger in life. So the bottom line, the, the bluff or the bottom line up front of this message this morning is this. Trials will strengthen the real, but at the same time destroy the phony. Trials will strengthen the real, but at the same time, those same trials will destroy 
the phony. So Jesus Christ has been arrested and taken into the high priest's palace. Last week we, we went through the three trials. He was tried before Annas. He was tried before Caiaphas. And then after the break of day, because it's illegal, it was illegal in their jurisprudence to have a trial at night. Well, everything they did was illegal. They were just railroading the murder of Jesus through the Jewish court, their Supreme Court in Jerusalem. But, but to, give it a, to give it a little bit of a cover of legality, they waited until after the sun came up. Then they went out and they tried Jesus a third time and then led him to the Roman authorities for him to be killed. Now, before we move into the Roman trials, which we'll do another time, we need to realize there were two key failures. They're interwoven in the story of Jesus' three trials before the Jewish courts. And these two key failures are two men who had spent a lot of time with Jesus. Two men who were considered to be friends of Jesus. Two friends who underwent horrendous pressure and trial. One of those men was Peter. The other man was Judas. And we're going to spend our time this morning on Peter and close with just a couple of comments about Judas. But in one of these two men, I can see myself. You can see yourself if you look. One of these two men, under a great trial, failed. And his fail, his failure, resulted in him becoming a much stronger Christian. The other man went through horrendous pressure and trial, and he failed. And his failure destroyed him. And you can see yourself either as a genuine Christian who when you're put under trial, that trial can make you stronger. Or you can see you as a phony, someone who claims to be a Christian, someone who says you're the friend of Jesus. And when put under trial, you fail, but that, fail, that failure doesn't make you stronger. That trial doesn't make you stronger. Rather, that trial totally destroys you. We're going to spend our time with Peter, though, because he's the one that illustrates for us the fact that when you fail in a trial, if you're a real Christian, if you're genuine, if you're real, and you fail in trial, you can be made stronger by that trial. So let's look at the first failure. It's the failure of Peter. We... I call it Peter's denials, the failure of the real. Peter's denials, the failure of the real. We saw last week how the apostles John and Peter had followed the arresting band away from the Garden of Gethsemane and followed them to the high priest's palace where the guard that had bound Jesus and tied him up had marched Jesus off to that location. John, the beloved knew somebody in the high priest's office. He was known to the high priest, and he was able to get into the high priest's palace because of his relationship with some people on the inside. 
He went in, left Peter at the door. He went in and talked to somebody. Then he came out and he talked to the lady who was guarding the door, managing who went in and who went out. He spoke with her, and then she opened the door and let Peter come in. At that point, John disappears from the biblical record. We don't know what John did inside the high priest's palace that night as Jesus Christ was tried and beaten. Perhaps when John saw what they did, perhaps he didn't have the stomach to watch them as they beat Jesus Christ, as they mocked him, as they blindfolded him, as they laughed at him, as they smacked him in the face and then said, if you're so great, if you're the Son of God, which one of us hit you that time? And maybe John didn't have stomach for all that. And maybe he just left. We don't know. He just disappears. But Peter doesn't disappear from the biblical record. Rather, we find Peter going through a series of denials of Jesus Christ. Now, every one of the four Gospels records Peter and his denials. Luke kind of uh, puts them together real tight and gives us the gist of them. Some of the Gospels tell more of the details. Luke kind of lumps them thematically. And here's Peter's denials up until he wept. And, 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 then, and then here's what they did to Jesus. And, and they're not intertwined. They're just kind of thematic. But other Gospels take you step by step. What, what happened to Jesus? What happened with Peter? What happened with Jesus in the next trial? And, and then, then what happened... With Peter. And then what happened with Jesus in the third trial, and then the beating, and the, 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 the mockery, and what they did to Jesus. And then finally, Peter's final trial happening at the very time they're beating Jesus in the face. And, and so, you really have to read all the Gospels, and you have to study them to enable yourself to understand the linkage between trial, denial, trial, denial, trial, denial, rather than putting all the trials together and all the denials together. And so on the back of your little sermon worksheet this morning, I, I shared with you a little chart that, um, that shows the three denials and basically what happened in that denial, and then underneath it, where in each of the four Gospels that is mentioned. And, and you can actually with that chart, go through the gospel and each of the gospels and you can read some of the different things because they're all not telling the same details. They add additional details. So for your own Bible study, for what it's worth, um, I put that on the back of your worksheet so that you could have that. At the top of that back uh, of your worksheet, Mark's gospel, Mark 14:30 said, And Jesus said unto him, Peter, Verily I say unto thee that this day, even this night, before the cock crow twice, Luke doesn't mention two different rooster crows. Some of the Gospels don't mention two. Only one mentions both of them. There were two cock crows, and he would deny Christ three times. And so let me just walk through the story with you for a moment of what occurred in each of these denials and what was happening with Jesus Christ. 
And you can see on the little worksheet, if you, if you want to follow along on the chart, you can see some of the basic things that happened with each denial. So Peter had gotten access in. He was there at the, at the very door where he entered in, and he met a lady. He met a damsel uh, that had let him in. And then Peter went on in, and um, the, the palace of the high priest had a residence section for Annas. It had a residence section for Caiaphas. It had a large patio between the two residences, a, a patio where they had built a fire to warm themselves in the chill of the middle of the night. And, uh, and then there was also a gateway that led out to the, to the uh, main street. And we find Peter moving around in these different locations. There are a number of people there. There was probably a crowd of people there who had followed from the Garden of Gethsemane to the high priest's palace. They were milling around. Some were warming themselves by a fire. Some were over in this corner talking. And there was just activity and people. And it seems when you read all of the Gospels and the different places where Peter was when he made each different denial, it seems as if Peter was on the move. He was trying to stay in the shadows. Once he denied Christ and people around him heard the accusation that he knew Christ, he kind of moved off to a different location. He was trying to be undercover. He was trying not to draw attention to himself. He didn't want people to know who he was. And he was trying to avoid being identified. And so he moved in different places. He came in the door and this damsel met him. He went on in into the patio area where they had built a fire and they were warming their hands by the fire. And Peter joined them and and, uh, was warming himself by the fire. But that damsel, something just didn't look right. And and so she, she had looked at Peter when she let him in. And then she followed where he went and she went into where he was around the fire. And the, and the, the lady began to question him. She was, she was uh, uh, identifying him, and, and she was saying, you're, you're, one of, you're one of this prisoner, Jesus. You're one of his disciples, aren't you? And Peter said, woman, I don't know who he is. And a first rooster crowed. And then Peter moved. He went away from the fire, he went away from the patio, and he went out into what is called in one gospel a porch. It was a gateway. It, it, was, it was probably, uh, if you were exiting, and you were not going to exit through the front door that you came in, it was probably a, a way you could exit back out onto the street. It would seem perhaps he's been unnerved by this woman that questioned him and, and, and his denial and the hearing of a rooster crow and and, and he slipped off, maybe almost as if to say, if things turn south, I want a straight shot at the door to get out of here. And there he was in the gateway. And, and the Bible says, after a little while, another woman came. And another woman looked at him and said, you're one of, you're one of the followers of Jesus that they brought in as a prisoner tonight, aren't you? And Peter again said, I, I don't know the man. And apparently there was more than one person there. There was not only a woman there. Apparently there were others in these locations. And apparently another man said something. And he said, man, I am not a follower of Jesus Christ. And then Peter shifted and moved to another location. An hour passed. Peter probably was in different locations. Jesus was being tried and 
one area before Annas. Then he'd been moved through the patio to the other, to the reception hall where he stood before Pilate. Pilate by the, or, or Caiaphas. Caiaphas by this time had gathered some of the Sanhedrin, the Supreme Court rulers together, the Supreme Court justices together, if you please, uh, the great Sanhedrin. He had gathered them into the reception hall and, and there Jesus stood before Caiaphas and, and, uh, and, and while he was in there being questioned, somebody else approached. A group of people approached Peter and said, You are Galilean. I can tell from your accent. You're not from here in Jerusalem. You're a Galilean, just like this prisoner is a Galilean. You're a follower of him. Your speech betrays you. And Peter began to curse. Probably not cursing as we would think of someone cursing with foul language, with immoral words today. Cursing in that time would have been uh, pronouncing a curse upon somebody. It would have been taking an oath. One of the gospel writers talks about him taking an oath. In other words, saying, with God as my witness, I don't know who he is. He actually got to the point that he called God, the author of truth, to be a witness that what he was saying was true and what he was saying was a bold-faced lie. This was at a time when Jesus had been pronounced guilty of death in the reception hall. Peter is out in the patio area, which, according to the architectural ruins and the recreating of it, you can actually see where Jesus in the reception room where he was tried and being beaten could look through two doorways and see one end of the patio where they had built the fire. And the Bible says that as, G, as Peter called God to be his witness that he was telling the truth and, and pronounced a curse and denied a third time that he knew anything about Jesus Christ, he looked up from the patio and he saw through those two doors into the judgment hall where they were beating Jesus. His face was bloody, perhaps a bit swollen. They were mocking him and laughing at him and ridiculing him. And Peter pronounces his curse and he looks up and as he looks through into that room, he sees Jesus. And at that very moment, Jesus looked up and looked out into the patio and their eyes locked. And Peter and Jesus Christ stare at one another. Jesus being beaten and Peter calling on God to witness that he had never met Jesus Christ in his life. And all of a sudden, the second rooster crowed. At that moment, Peter lost it. The guilt flooded into his soul. He remembered that Jesus said, Peter, before the rooster crows at the end of tonight, you will deny that you even know me and you're going to do it three different times. Peter said, I will not. I will not. And Peter remembered 
And the guilt crushed him. And he left. The Bible doesn't tell us where he went. Did he go back to the Garden of Gethsemane? Did he go home? Did he just go out into the street? It is in that twilight before the, the early morning, just as the, the rooster crows and the night is fading and the dawn is breaking, and Peter went out and he wept. He wept bitterly. He had so failed Jesus Christ. It was the fulfillment of Jesus Christ telling him. It was a colossal failure. All these denials occurred in different places with different people throughout the night culminating in the early morning. What was behind this colossal failure? Peter's denials did not represent a rejection of everything that he had ever learned from Jesus. It was not a failure in rejecting everything that he had believed about Jesus. Whenever Jesus was with him physically, he was bold as a lion. You let Jesus be in the room with me. I'll charge hell with a squirt gun. That's what happened in the upper room. When he was surrounded by the other apostles and Jesus Christ is right there with him. And Jesus said, they're going to smite the shepherd and all the sheep are going to run. And Peter said, I won't run. Not me, Lord. I'll go to prison with you. I'll go to the death with you, Jesus. Whenever Jesus was there with him, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was the one that pulled out the one of the only two swords they had in the group. And he began, he was going to take matters into his own hands. He was going to, he was going to take care of this mob of all these armed people. He swung that sword and took off someone's ear. Peter was bold, as long as Jesus is standing there beside him. But then he watched them tie Jesus up. Then he watched them lead Jesus to the high priest's palace. Then he goes into the palace and there's, he's alone. It's just him and the mob of people who are wanting to kill Jesus. It's just him and all these people that have arrested Jesus. Jesus is in another room somewhere here. But he's not here with me at the fire with these people who are challenging me for my faith. And all of a sudden, when Peter's all alone, call it isolation. Call it standing for Jesus with no backup or support with you. Call it acknowledging that Jesus is who he claimed to be when you're the only Christian in the room. You know he saved you. You know he's real. You know you're a Christian. And when you're with other Christians, you're bold. But when you're the only Christian in the room, when you don't have any backup, the lion turns into a mouse. The bold witness brandishing a sword, taking on a mob of armed soldiers 
with Jesus standing by my side, who is God and who is all-powerful and who can stop anything bad from happening to me, I am as bold as a lion. Tie Jesus up. Beat his face. Put him in another room. Make me the only Christian in a room of people that don't like Jesus. How bold are you when you're the only one in the room that believes in Jesus? How bold are you in a school classroom when you're the only one that knows Jesus? You're surrounded by a crowd of people who don't like him, don't care about him. How bold are you at work when you're the only one? You see, Peter went through a trial that Jesus warned him he was going to go through. And the trial that he went through may not be very different than trials you go through and that I go through. When we have the opportunity to stand up for Jesus. It's easy in this room. We sang it. Stand up, stand up for Jesus, ye soldiers of the cross. Lift high his royal banner. We shall not suffer loss. It's easy when you're with a bunch of other Christians. How about if you're the only one? How about if you're in an environment where no one agrees with you? How bold are you to stand up for Jesus Christ? That's what Peter went through. And it's not all that different from what people go through today. It's not all that different from what a lot of people are going through right now in Afghanistan. We can trace Peter's words and actions and find telltale signs of what set him up for failure. He didn't have to fail. He could have at that fire looked at the woman and said, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. He washed my sins away. He's my eternal God and I am a follower of Jesus Christ and let the chips fall where they are. He could have done that. He could have stood up for Jesus. Jesus told him Satan was putting him in his sieve, bouncing him around, tumbling him around, trying to make him fail. And Jesus said, Peter, remember a few messages ago when we looked at Peter in Satan's sieve, how Jesus helps when Satan hinders? Jesus said, Peter, I have prayed for you that your faith fail not. Peter could have gone through the trial and stood for Jesus Christ, but he didn't. Why didn't he? Why didn't Peter stand up for Jesus Christ when he was the only one in the room? There's some reasons why he didn't. The Bible carefully chronicles the reasons. And we can look at the words and actions of Peter before the trial began. And we can find telltale signs that set him up for failure. And you know something? The telltale signs that set Peter up for failure can set me up for failure. And I won't stand for Jesus when I'm the only one in the room. 
What are those telltale signs? Let's, let's think back a little bit. We'll, we'll, we'll use Luke's gospel. We're open to Luke 22. We've read a portion of Luke 22. You have five, five statements here that all include the word T-O-O, two. And in the passages in Luke, we find what happened that matches these five statements. Statement number one, he boasted too loudly. He boasted too loudly. We've already alluded to that in verse number 32 of Luke 22. Jesus said, I prayed for thee that thy faith fail not when thou art converted. Strengthen thy brethren. And he, that's Peter, said unto him, Lord, I'm ready to go with thee to prison and to death. Jesus said to him, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day till thou hast denied me three times. Thrice. Three times. Peter boasted too loudly. You know, self Confident people are shallow people, oftentimes. I, I, can, I can handle this. I can manage this. I, I, I won't deny you, Jesus Christ. They can put me in prison. I won't deny you. They can kill me. I won't you deny you. Peter boasted way too loudly of what he could do. You know, the moment you start boasting about how bold you are, and how you can stand for Jesus no matter what. That's a telltale sign that you may face a failure under trial. Because you have a lot of confidence in yourself. Peter boasted way too loud. Luke recorded it. The cock shall not crow this day for thou hast denied me. Till thou deny that you know me. Peter thought so highly of his own boldness, so highly of his own loyalty, so highly of his own ability to stand for Jesus Christ, regardless of what happens. And so I'm reminded that 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 12 says, Let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Because the moment you think, you can handle it. You may be the next failure. Peter boasted much too Loudly. How about you? How confident are you that any situation you'll be in, you will stand up boldly for Jesus Christ, regardless of what is happening around you? How confident are you in your ability? It may be that that's a telltale sign. Then I want you to notice the second statement. He prayed too little. In verse number 40 of this chapter, Jesus Christ has taken the, uh, the 11 apostles. Judas, of course, is already vacated. He took his 11 apostles. They walked through the streets of Jerusalem. They crossed the Kidron Valley. They came to the entrance to the Garden of Gethsemane, an olive grove. And he left eight of the men there at the entrance. He took three men, Peter, James, and John. He told them he wanted them to go with him to watch and pray. They went deeper into the olive grove and Jesus Christ left. Peter, James, and John told them to pray. Let me uh, note the verse. Verse number 40. And when he was at the place, he said to them, pray. Notice, pray that ye enter not into temptation. Notice prayer was related to the trial that they're going to face. And in verse number 45 when he rose up, when Jesus rose up from prayer and came to his disciples, he found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why sleep ye? Rise up and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. I would say to you that one of the telltale tell, tell signs 
a weakness in Peter's life that set him up for failure is that he had a weak prayer life. He prayed way too little. When Jesus said, Peter, you're going to be in Satan's sieve tonight. You need to spend this time on your face before God in prayer, lest you enter into temptation. I've got my own temptation, I can hear Jesus saying, as he gets ready to go in and pray and fall on his face and sweaty blood drips down his body and he, and he wrestles with God. Jesus has his own temptation, but Peter, you've got a temptation. You've got a trial that's yours. Unless you fail in your trial, pray. And when Jesus came back, he was sleeping. Peter prayed way too little. You know, prayer, a healthy, vibrant prayer life is key to your ability to not fail in the midst of a trial. Weak prayer life, weak Christian. Now I lay me down to sleep. God bless this food. Amen. If that's the extent of your prayer life, you're no match for the trials and temptations that come in life. How vibrant is your prayer life? How much has the instruction in the New Testament on how to pray, how to build a vibrant prayer life, how much has that become real in your life? And in that kind of a vibrant prayer life, you develop the strength and ability to withstand the trials and temptations when they come your way. Peter prayed way too little. Luke lumps it all together here in the garden, just kind of like he did in, in the high priest's palace. The reality was, when you read the other Gospels and put all the pieces together, there were three times that Jesus said, Peter, pray. And then Jesus went off a stone's throw away. In other words, within audible distance, they could hear Jesus wailing. They could hear Jesus praying. They could hear what Jesus was going through. He was just a stone's throw over in that direction. And then he would stop and he would come and find Peter not praying. Wake him up. Peter, pray. And then he went in another ordeal, another time of Jesus pouring out his life before the Father. And then he would come. And Peter, he's not praying again. Wake up, Peter, pray. And Jesus again went back and fell on his face and sweat drops of blood and agonized. They could hear him. Jesus came back a third time. Peter, he's sleeping. He's not praying again. I mean, this wasn't a one-time deal. This went all over and over again. It was... It was a whole ordeal that Peter just wouldn't pray. The Bible says he didn't pray for sorrow. How about you? Do you pray? What's your prayer life like? Do do you spend time praying about the things that Jesus instructed you to pray about? Or is your prayer just a real quick list of things you want God to do for you, like He's your bellhop? And you're just focused on the things you need for Him to do to you, or for you, or for somebody. Or have you learned how to pray? Have you taken seriously Jesus' instruction on how to pray? 
And have you learned? The disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. We don't know how to pray. Prayer is a learned behavior. I've said that over and over and over again to this congregation. Prayer is a learned behavior. You have to learn how to pray. Jesus, teach us. Jesus taught them. Have you taken Jesus' teaching and have you learned how to pray? Do you spend time praising God, honoring Him, revering Him, His names, His attributes, His relationships He has with you? Do you spend time talking to God about His kingdom coming to earth and all the various aspects of what that means? Do you pray for your government, kings and all that are in authority, for peace so that we can evangelize? Do you pray and ask God to forgive you of the sins you've committed? Do you pray for, your, for other people that have needs? Give us this day, Lord, our daily bread. Do you, do you pray for God to protect you from temptation and trial? Deliver us from, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I mean, do you talk to God about the very things God told you to talk to Him about? Have you developed a vibrant prayer life? Do you know why Peter... Wimped out because he prayed too little. And how about it with you when you're the only Christian in the room? Do you wimp out? Could it have anything to do with whether you have a vibrant prayer life or not? Peter prayed way too little. And then the third statement, he slept too much. He slept too much because every time Jesus came back and found him, he wasn't praying because he was sleeping. Jesus said, watch and pray. Watch and pray. You know what the word watch means? It means to be alert. It means to be wide awake. It's a military term. You're on watch. You're the one that's the century keeping, making sure that everything is okay so that the other soldiers can sleep and get some rest. You're on watch duty. You're alert. You're awake. You're conscious. You're vibrant. You're aware of what's happening around you. You're aware of what the dangers are. Watch. Have you ever noticed how many times in the Bible Jesus Christ tells us to watch? 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Watch ye, stand fast in the faith. Colossians 4, 2. Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. 1 Thessalonians 5, 6. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch. And be so sober, First Peter 4, 7. But the end of all things is at hand, therefore, be ye therefore sober and watch, watch, watch. It's always, oftentimes, not always, it's oftentimes connected to prayer. Be alert and pray in your awareness of what's happening. Do you know what's happening in our country right now? Do you know what's happening in the school system that your child's a part of right now? Are you alert? Do you know what's happening in the lives of people that are around you? People that are saved, people that aren't saved. Are you alert? Are you sober, watchful, alert, aware? Linked to prayer. We pray about what we're alert to. We pray about what we're mindful of. You know why Peter failed? He prayed too little and he slept too much. He wasn't Alert to the dangers of what was going on around him. He set himself up for failure. He boasted too much. He prayed too little. He slept too much. And he acted too fast. I mean, he's still rubbing the sleep out of his eyes when Judas leads the soldiers in that night. And Peter's not even awake yet. He's slapping, 
Sorry about that, guys. Long cheek. He's slapping himself on the face and trying to get himself alert, trying to wake himself up. And all of a sudden, he sees these lanterns. He hears the clashing of swords. He pulls out his sword and starts swinging. He acted way too fast. He wasn't watching Jesus to get his cues from Jesus. He wasn't aware of the situation around him. And so he went off and acted way too fast. He went all half-cocked. And then finally, he followed too far back. Verse number 54 of Luke 22 says, They took him, took Jesus, led him, and brought him to the high priest's house. And Peter followed afar off. Oh, he followed Jesus, but he followed Jesus way too far back. Let's give credit to Peter. He did follow Jesus. He's torn between fear and love. He's agonizing between his love for Jesus and his fear of what's going on. He's struggling to know what to do. He can't bring himself to go with Jesus Christ. But he can't stand the thought of just going somewhere else and not knowing what they're going to do to Jesus Christ. So he follows, but he follows way back. I wonder how close I followed Jesus. Or if I followed Jesus way too far back. So they arrived at the high priest's palace. And all of these things had set Peter up for failure. And his failure unfolds. What they're doing to Jesus. The intimidation of not having another Christian with him. And being bombasted by the people around him. And his finding himself in such great fear. That he can't bring himself. To stand up for Jesus Christ. And finally looking up. And his gaze going through those two doorways. At the very moment that Jesus looked up with his bloody face and looked out those two doorways. And they locked eyes. And Peter broke under the weight of a guilty conscience. He needed a quiet place to go weep. Because he had failed to heed Jesus' warning of Satan's sieve. And so everything he did set himself up for failure. But praise the Lord, his failure is not the end of the story. He may have felt it that way that night. What I've done to Jesus, God could never forgive me of. When he locked eyes with Jesus and walked out and fell on his face somewhere weeping bitterly, I have no doubt that he thought in his heart, it's over for me. God could never forgive me of what I've done tonight. But that wasn't true. He found out that God is a forgiving God. That God will even forgive the horrible failure of His children. Peter's going to leave Jerusalem after they kill Jesus and he raises from the grave. Peter's still so struggling with what he did that night. He said, I'm done. I'm out of here. He, He said, I'm going back. I'm going to go back to my old job. I'm going back to the fishing industry. He left Jerusalem with all of its painful memories. He talked another couple of the apostles into going with him. He influenced them because he's such a leader. 
They went back to Galilee where, where he's going to just go back to fishing. And after fishing all night, he looks up and there on the bank of the Sea of Galilee is Jesus Christ. He's going after Peter. He said, Peter, do you love me more than these other apostles like you said in the upper room that you love me more than them? in the heart do you love me more than these other guys love me Peter you miss it in the English language of using the word love to translate different words Jesus asked Peter do you love me with a self-sacrificing love like you claimed to love me even more than anyone else loves me and Peter answered back and he says Lord you know I like you Jesus said, do you agape me? He answered back, I filio you. Yes, I'm fond of you, Jesus. A brotherly love, a fondness, an attraction. Three denials, three questions. First question, do you agape love me more than any of the other? And Peter said, I'm fond of you, Jesus. Question number two, do you even forget the others? Forget the others. Do you even love me? Lord, you know I like you. Third question. Do you even like me? And he used the word Peter had been using. Jesus is drilling down, drilling down, drilling down. Because you know something? Failure. If you're a real Christian, failure's not the end. He loves you too much for it to be the end. Oh, he'll deal with what you did. He'll drill down to the heart of the issue of what you did to recover you. Oh, Peter, once he was recovered with the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, God gave him some great assignments. He gets to preach on the day of Pentecost when 3,000 souls get saved. He gets to write letters to persecuted Christians using his life experience to tell them it's not the end when you fail. Your trial can strengthen you. Your trial can make you stronger. It did me. I'm here with great assignments in spite of my failure because our God forgives. And not only all that, He's going he's to write these letters to these persecuted Christians. But the day's going to come when his life is going to be on the line and he's going to be given another opportunity. Do you renounce Jesus Christ? And if you don't renounce Jesus Christ, we're going to murder you by crucifixion. He said, just don't crucifix, crucify me right side up. I'm not worthy of being crucified right side up like Jesus was. Turn me upside down and nail me to the cross. And he stood boldly for Jesus Christ and was martyred for his faith in Jesus Christ because even a failed trial isn't the end. It can make you stronger for the future. That was Peter's experience. When he wrote the persecuted Christians in First Peter chapter 5, he said, I'm, I'm writing to you elders, you pastors, who am also a, an elder and a witness... Of the sufferings of Jesus Christ. You know right up to the end of Peter's life. He could never forget that. 
locked stare through those doorways. I saw what they did to my Savior. He never forgot his failure. He never forgot his lack of boldness. But he rose victoriously above his failure. Because even Peter's denials was the failure of a real Christian. And a real Christian is recoverable by a forgiving God. Let me close by pointing out that there was another friend. We've already studied him, but let me mention him in closing. There's another friend. His name was Judas. But Judas' failure was not a temporary being scared to be bold and stand up for Jesus Christ. You see, Judas was a phony. He was not a genuine believer. He had rejected all that Jesus Christ had taught. He was a phony to the core of his being. And, and he waited for the opportunity to turn Jesus over for 30 pieces of silver. And after he did that, and after he watched Jesus Christ sentenced to death and being taken to the Roman trials, Judas lost it. He felt so guilty of betraying an innocent man that he went to the temple. He went right up to the gates, the doors to go into the holy place. He took the 30 pieces of silver and he threw them through the door, clanging on the ground. He said, I betrayed innocent blood. And he went out and he committed suicide and went to hell. Because a failed trial for a phony friend of Jesus. only leaves them with no recourse. He refused any grace from God. So, when you have trials in your life, are you a real Christian or a phony friend? If you're a phony friend, your failed trial may just reveal that you were a phony friend. But if you're a genuine Christian, and you find the forgiveness of God, and you become stronger, you will go out and accomplish great things for God because your trial made you stronger.